How's everybody doing? Good. Good morning. Glad you're here. How'd, how'd you like that cool wave we had the last couple of days in Montgomery? If you just moved here, you went, cool wave? Well, hey, should have been here the last couple of weeks at 105 in the shade. It's, it feels like uh, cool. Well, uh, I want to bring one thing to your attention right before I preach. Uh, in the worship guide, it, it gives you things that are coming up in a really huge event. Matt's in the front hall with his wife working in the nursery today. But it's the 525 event, and there's a little error. It's called 525 because Ephesians 525, and we meet at 525. So guys, let me go ahead and tell you, it's not 545. That's a misprint. So you, gotta, you can't sleep in, sorry. But 525, we really have an awesome opportunity. Nate Lark and the guy that authored uh, the book that the guys have built a small group on uh, uh, Wednesday nights, he's actually going to be here. He's coming and flying in Monday night. So please, guys, get up, rise up, be there. It's going to be worth us coming out and hearing from one of God's special people. And it's just an amazing, and here, here's the deal. Very few of you got an excuse at 525. And the church said, I mean, really. I mean, Mike Crouch, I don't, I don't see him today. He must be out. But Mike gets up at like at 3.30 or 4 o'clock every morning. He runs the Pepsi bottling company in uh, Laverne. So we give him a pass, okay? I mean, anybody gets up that time of day like, man, you know. And I think he even made one. But the rest of us are probably sleeping. So uh, anyway, and if you want to keep a good marriage, don't let that alarm go off and off and off. Just get up. Okay. Hey, I, I want to talk to you today uh, about Mark chapter 8, verse 34 and 35. If you've got a copy of the scriptures, you can turn over to the gospel of Mark. I'll get there in a few minutes. But uh, that's our kind of our main theme text um, that really got this message kind of germinating in my heart and thinking. Actually, I told Jeff the other day, I'm doing this a little different than they trained us in seminary. They always go, get your text, study your text, out of your text flows everything, blah, blah, blah. And, and that's pretty much what I do. But there's an illustration that I'll give you a little later in the service. It's very powerful in my life, and it actually drove this message. And then I began to look at God's Word, and God's Word just spoke to me. And then it's just been a pursuit of studying his lordship this week. But anyway, we'll, we'll look at Mark 8 in just a few moments, and uh, I'm excited about you being here. There's, there's a message truth right at the top. It says, we all long to be in the front seat, to be in the best seat in the house, but Jesus invites us to humble ourselves, to be the last of all and the servant of all. I want you to just kind of hang with that truth. I hope that maybe you can even cut it out. I mean, a lot of you keep your notes. That's great. Go back and study and refer and pray through them. Or maybe if you don't, maybe you'll just cut that out and put it on your refrigerator. I mean, it's a great truth that Christ wants to be Lord. He wants to be in the center. We're even going to do a song that talks about the Jesus being the center at the end and really tie all this together. But in Mark 10, 36 and 37, it's not the main text, but I want to give it to you. It's going to come up on the screen. It says, what do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Now, here's the disciples, and they want to have really, really good seats. You know, it's not different in 2012. We want the best seat. We want the sky box. We want the sky seat. We want to have the 50-yard line seat at the ball game. We want to sit close. I remember uh, when Michael Jordan was playing basketball, I was in Chicago at a convention, and I, you know, I love Michael Jordan, and I wanted to go, and I called, and they said, the tickets have been sold out for three years. <laughs> three years! They said, but go downtown, and I never will forget, I went downtown, and I got down there, and I met a guy about two blocks from the stadium, and he held his trench coat out like this. Praise God he had clothes on. <laughs> and he had all the tickets. 
He said, pick one, and wherever you base it, you know, that's what you pay. I got one of them expensive seats. I said, the very top. <laughs> and it was a nosebleed. But it was still it was a light show when he came out. It was like going to an Elvis Presley concert. Cameras lit up and got to see MJ do his magic. But we, we like those good seats. There's just something about them. There, there's something about a good seat, too. When you get a good seat, it, think about this honestly, it, it carries with it bragging potential. Have you ever noticed if anybody sits in the end zone, they never go, hey, sit in the end zone. But if you sit on a 35-yard line or the 40 or the 50 or you sit at the really good table or you sit there, you let people know it, just, it has that. So these guys, they know. There was a, a jingle several years ago by Hertz Rent-A-Car, and it says, let Hertz put you in the driver's seat today. They would just, you know, that was kind of a big slogan for them. Let them put you in the driver's seat. Well, I'm going to keep talking this morning about Jesus doesn't want you and me in the driver's seat. We want to be in the driver's seat. Man, I like, how many of you, let's be honest, you're in church. How many of you like to be in the driver's seat? Yeah, but that's not where we need to be. It's not where Jesus wants us to be. And uh, so, you know, like at church, we always, I ask myself, what's the best seat in the house at Christ's community? Tell me where it is. This is not rhetorical. What's the best seat in the house? The where? Right there in the middle. What's the best seat in the house? Molly's back there on the back row going, right here. Earl's next to the back. How about y'all here? What's the best seat in the house? Michelle says front. Oh, Christy's back there on the back seat saying, back seat. You know what? Usually back seat fills up first. The one's closer to it. If you look over here, here's a great example. Look with me. Front seat. Empty. We don't have to go. Saved. Because nobody's going to sit there. My precious family, they humor me. They sit on the front row with me. Michelle, Michelle, what happened? <laughs> she usually has a bunch of tidwells. I just start going down the road. Do, 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 do. All right. And see, nobody came up and sat with you, Michelle. I mean, she took a shower. She's clean. She's got perfume on. Smells good. Nobody wants to sit with her. Okay. So the thing is, the, the best seat, it, it's just obvious it's not the front seat. Now, if this was a, a concert, oh, you'd be fighting for the front seats. Okay. Or, or their prayer, there's desire was motivated by earthly wisdom they, they really didn't want the heavenly wisdom they uh, they were making the mistake of following the wrong examples in in that world in roman rule uh it was to they wanted to elevate themselves so they wanted to like not admire jesus they wanted to admire the glory of a leader of having the best the right seat in the house and uh so if they had the right seat that meant position it meant authority and it really hadn't changed over the years we still really kind of like a good seat. God's pattern in Scripture talks about being the servant of all. He talks about going to the back seat. He talks about going to the place that, you know, you necessarily wouldn't choose. Uh, Don and I, I just thought of this. It just hit me. We did student ministry for a lot of years, and it was amazing. You know where the seats they fought for were? The back of the bus. I'll let you figure out why teenagers want to fight for the back of the bus. And it wasn't to be like more like Jesus. Okay, so, okay. If you don't get that simulator, I'll explain it to you. Okay, uh, Luke 14, 7 through 11, turn there. We're going to come back to the main text, but I want to give you another passage. When he noticed how the guests picked their places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, then the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. You ever been there? You ever gone and sit in the wrong seat? And they go, you need to go back and sit in the back, Bubba. 
Yeah, okay. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. And then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. In other words, by being humble, by taking that position of Christ, then you might, didn't always say it's going to happen, you might get elevated. I, you know, over the years, I, you know, I've been to a lot of banquets, a lot of events, and I've been keynote speaker and i've been at head table and i've been at the table in the back taking the garbage out and i've gone up and sat at this table and they they've taken me to back to the back and i've been in the back and they brought me to the front and can i just tell you which seat uh, which seat do you think you or me would probably like to be at kind of fun up front they wait on you a little quicker they, they fill your glass a little sooner they, they they pay more attention to you but jesus said you need to be the servant of all you really need to take that low seat and if you take that back seat that's where I'm really glorified. Now, I'm preaching this message, and I hope y'all don't interpret wrongly. And I'll, next week, every one of you fight for the backseat of the church. Because we try our hardest to move y'all up. You know, we kind of shrink the seats, and y'all still, y'all are amazing. Y'all figured out, I ain't sitting on the front seat. Okay, so here it is. There's a who's who in these scriptures in the Gospels. It's like a religious dinner, and they're wanting to be in the right place with Jesus. And they're, they're uh, among the sect of the pharisees and they're jockeying for position and in our day and age we we kind of know what it is they're like jockey for position at somebody's table maybe somebody important we want to hear from fill in the first blank with me remember the best seat in the house is the last seat the last seat that that's the best seat and we and, and the natural it'd go well the best seat in the house is the first seat but jesus goes no i'm gonna i'm gonna flip that upside down the best seat is the last seat to feel important by, seat, be, by sitting in the right chair, that's the wrong attitude. That's the wrong attitude, Keith. I want you to sit in the back chair. In the back seat, maybe that's where you're going to humble yourself. Maybe that's where you're going to see more of me and not be concerned about your reputation or your identity. In, in verse 10 there, he says, Jesus had more in mind than seating arrangements. He wanted to force them to be humbled. In New Testament times, you see that uh, they, they wanted to climb the ladder of social standing. And it's no different in 2012. I mean, if we're honest, a lot of us probably would like to be in a different place than we are. And uh, like if, uh, if somebody, a dignitary came to our town this week, you'd go, man, hey, if I could sit at the head table, if I could just sit there with that athlete, if I could just sit there with that music star, if I could just sit there with that celebrity, if I could just sit there with that important person, wow, that would be like really, like what if I said this week, uh, Tim Tebow called me, and he wants to come over, and he just wants to have dinner with me Tuesday night, and I, invite, I asked him if I could bring about 400 of my best friends. How many of you would really love to be at the table with Tim Tebow? Go ahead. The rest of you are lying. Of course you would. Like, man, I want to sit with Tim. Even though if he didn't speak, you just look at him. And some of you girls would drool, you know, and had to confess lust and all that. But, but the thing is, but we rushed to the head table. We just rushed to the head table. Proverbs 25, 6 and 7. Write this down as an alternative verse. In the message translation from Eugene Peterson, he writes, don't work yourself into the spotlight. Don't push yourself into the place of prominence. It's better to be promoted in the place of honor than face humiliation by being demoted. It's just what we read in the gospel earlier. And here in the proverb, we see that same thought that Jesus is trying to drive. Um, I read a story this week about a guy named uh, Sammy Morris. He was a Christian that came to be educated in our country from Africa. Very humble man. And he came to a major university, and uh, he went in and talked with the school's leader, 
and he said, Sammy, is there, is there anything I can do for you? I, I want to be of service to you. We're, we're glad to have you in our country. We're glad that you have come to our university. and was being scholarship and all that. And he says, well, Sammy, is, is there anything I can do for you? And, and he just asked him a simple question. He says, uh, what, what room could I give to you, Sammy? What, what room would you like? The president of the university asked Sammy that. And Sammy had the most incredible response. Here's what Sammy said. If there's a room that nobody wants, give that one to me. And the president in this story that I read, it said he had to walk away with tears in his eyes. And he asked himself as the leader of that institution, would I have been willing to do that? Would I take the room that nobody else wanted at the university and the dormitories? But Sammy knew what it was to be a part of the kingdom. What I didn't tell you was this was a Christian university. This was a Christian president, a Christian leader. But I don't want to pick on him. You and I can probably go, well, you know, I, I would have failed that. So Jesus, I, just, I, I would just write this down in the margin. Recline at the last place. Just recline in the last seat. That's what Jesus wants. Now let's look at the next point. Remember who knows the best route. Remember that Jesus knows the route. I've told y'all before, I'm incredibly, incredibly to about a 9,000th power directionally challenged. Uh, you can put me somewhere and get me going, and man, I ain't got a clue where I'm at. And if you ride around and you start hitting a lot of different streets, I just don't know where to go. And I, I thought, man, this is such a curse. And I was reading one of Andy Stanley's books one day, and Andy goes, I am directionally challenged. I know about the values of the kingdom. I know about eternal life and the Lord Jesus. And, I, I, and don't think, well, now you're not directionally challenged about spiritual things, are you? No, no, I'm not. But when it comes to drive, how many of you in this room, I'm just curious, are directionally challenged? Just raise your hand, be honest. Okay, well, a lot of us. You know what? I praise God, I praise God that I have an iPhone that has GPS in it. It is amazing how I get to places today. The other day I got to thinking, how did I ever get anywhere that I had never been before before that? And now it's just amazing. You look down there, turn left, do this. Now, I don't have the latest, I think, Siri, isn't that it? And she'll talk to you. Now, I can't wait for that edition because it's, it's a little scary, me having to look down, girls. I just got to be honest with you. I, I do look at my phone. I don't text, but when I'm driving somewhere, pastor's kind of looking over there like, hey, well, turn left here. I went to somewhere the other day. I'd never been. Got right there. Didn't get lost one time. It wasn't anything to do with me. Okay, remember who knows the best route. It's Jesus. He's already been there. He's already there. He's in the past. He's in the present. He's in the future. He knows it all. So we need to follow the route of Christ. I like what it says about remembering the best route. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. But if you want to make it to heaven, if your intention is to go to heaven when you die, there is one way. It is the most single-minded, single, narrow, focus only way to the living God, and it's through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the only way to the Father, and you'll never make it on your own, and you'll never make it with any other path. It's through Jesus. Now, why men have a hard time saying, it's Jesus? People get interviewed, I won't tell you who they are, and you know some of them, they'll go, how do I get to heaven? How do I get my sins forgiven? <laughs> get baptized, do, do, join church, be nice, bake brownies, give away lots of money, do this. No, it's Jesus. There ain't no other way to get to heaven, folks. That's why I call out some groups that are cults and they're religious, because they're not going to get people to heaven. It's Jesus. So who knows the best route is him? Look at the next one. Remember who's been down this road before. He's already been down the road. He already knows what's down there, what's awaiting you. And what I love about my Jesus, 
He's never been caught off guard. You know, a lot of times people used to ask me when 9-11 happened and the towers collapsed, was God sleeping? Was God caught off guard? And I go, absolutely not. That was the wickedness of man, the intent of evil. But God was on the throne. We've been down this road before. I'm going to get to the passage. Some of you think, has he forgot about that passage he told? No, I hadn't. I'm getting there. But in the book of Deuteronomy, if you read the Old Testament, there's a lot of great verses. And, it, it, it talk, and, and the theme of the Old Testament of, of Deuteronomy is I've been down this road before. I've seen this route. I know this route. This is God's way. And, and Eugene Peterson, he speaks up about it's a series of sermons from Moses when you read the book of Deuteronomy. It just speaks into our life. And he talks about arriving, going forward, uh, reminding the people of their journey. And, again, he, and he says, again, I remind you to do this. And I remind you because he's already been down the route. God knows. I encourage you to take Holy Scripture and read it every day. Study Scripture every day. Meditate on Scripture every day. That's what we started with. Meditate on this word that you won't depart from it, that you won't sin against him. God, I want direction. It's, the book of Deuteronomy is full of this. Write it down. Deuteronomy is all about don't forget. Don't, hey, how many of you have the, the, the ability that you just forget and somebody asks you something and you forget? You didn't mean to be mean. You didn't mean to be ugly. You just forgot. Just raise your hands high. Raise both of them because I really want to know. I do it all the time. And Donna, she thinks, man, because I'm a male, that's part of it. And that is part of it. Maybe I wasn't listening sometimes. I'm sorry, baby. But I just forget. And what's amazing is I have the capacity, I have a good historical mind. And I remember things of the past 30, 40 years ago. I really do. I remember details. You ask my family, Daddy, you know who that is? Daddy, you know about what they do? Daddy, you know this? Daddy, 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 Keith. And I do. I just recall facts. But if I do something and if I don't write it down right now, I forget. In the present, and somebody says, well, you're getting old. Well, well, whatever it is. But the reality is, I just forget. I need to be reminded. How many of you live off a list and you're always writing stuff down? And you know what a good day for me when I mark through stuff? Some of you just write down stuff so you mark through stuff. Okay, anyway, so don't forget. You're a people called, set apart. You're called to a different standard. And all through Scripture, God's saying, I want to remind you, this is the best route. I've been down this road before. You know, uh, listen to what it says in Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That's what God would tell me this morning. That's what I prayed yesterday as I was worshiping. Lord God, I want to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what it is to love you. As Mark Batterson said in one of his books I read a few years ago, he says, God, I want to love you with all my heart. That means all compassion. God, I want to love you with all my mind. That means all imagination. God, I want to love you with all my soul. That means the wonder and the awe of God. And then I want to love you with all strength. That means the activity of the kingdom of the Lord God Almighty. God, let me love you. But I was studying, and I learned this about Jewish identity. Right in the center, they would post these verses on the door frames, which we read about Scripture. But they also, practicing Jewish families, had a box that they put in their home. And that box was a mezuzah. And each time they passed through the door, they would, they would touch it. And it was a reminder of how holy God was and that God wanted to give leadership and direction in their life. And he was their provision. So they would walk over to the box and they would touch the box as a reminder. Now, we don't have a box in our home probably. We do have Holy Scripture that we can go and we can have it laying around our house or on our desk or in our car. Or we can go and say, God, I want to touch. God, I want to read. God, I want to remember. 
I don't know about you, but we forget the goodness of God. And let me just tell you, if you hadn't told you lately, God is good all the time. You say, well, no, wait, 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 no, no, he, that wasn't very good. Hey, let me, I learned this a long time ago. I believe it more now than I did then. Everything that touches Keith Waldrop's life has to come through the loving hands and filter by a Heavenly Father. It's tough and as hard as it is, it has to go through the hands of God. Everything that touches your life as a child of God first goes through the Father. He allows it, it's tough as it may be. He's using it to perfect you, to test you, to build you, to conform you, to conform me to the image of Christ. There's so much that I don't want to be conformed with. God, I don't want to choose the easy path. It's like, I want to sit at the front table. Jesus said, get in the back. Okay. Jesus, I don't want hard times. Jesus says, hard times are going to develop your character. Some of you came this morning to hear that word. You're going through a difficult time. And God is using the difficulty to shape you, to drive you, that Christ becomes your all in all. He becomes your identity. Look at the next one. Remember who's never been lost. I love that. God's never been lost one time. And I don't get lost by him. He, he knows where I am. He, he's already there. He's already ready to direct me. And, and when they came up and they were facing the soldiers there at the Red Sea and he parted the Red Sea, he, he delivered the people. He wasn't lost. He, he was at large and in charge. And the other thing I'm talking about God not being lost, there's no problem too big for God this morning. I don't know what it is. It could be physical and financial and spiritual and health-wise or just whatever your problem is, just lay it before Jesus. He can deal with it. How many of you believe that today? All the time people say, man, what about our country? What about our nation? What are they doing? <laughs> don't, don't get me on that soapbox. They're doing a lot of dumb things. But how about you? I do a lot of dumb things too. And my God rules. And he's in charge this morning. He's not lost his way. Now some of this stuff, it might be he's trying to gear us and he's trying to direct us back to his heart. But every time I read scripture, God says never trust in horses and chariots, but he says trust in me. Oh, but God, I like chariots. And I don't have any chariots, but you know what he's saying. Chariots and horses, cars, houses, bonds, stocks, cash, whatever. God, I want to trust in that stuff. God says, trust in me. Let's move on. So he knows the way. Here's where I want to get to. Taking the back seat's hard to do. I remember reading this. If God is your co-pilot, change seats. I love that. People used to always go, God is my co-pilot. And I just, I cringe. I used to see that sign and I would just throw up. Not literally. I, I just thought about it. I hate that sign. If you got one in your car, go out there and burn it in Jesus' name. It's just wrong. Jesus is my co-pilot. Jesus don't need you to co-pilot squat. If he is, change the seat. Jesus is into the back seat living. In 1968, it was a February 22nd. It was a winter morning. It was snowing in Montgomery, Alabama. It was a cold day. There was a nine-year-old boy that got in the car with a crew cut. Big ears. Still got them. It was me. My mom hopped in the front seat. My grandfather hopped in the seat beside her, and I got in the back. We were going to North Alabama. We were going down infamous 82 West that leads to Tuscaloosa. In the 60s, in 1968, it was a really, really bad road. It was a logging road. A lot of log trucks came on the, six, on the 82. And I don't know about you, but when you're a little boy, 
and you're sitting in the back seat, there's something cool about knobs in the front seat. We didn't have iPods. We didn't have all this stuff. There was a radio. And I was thinking, I need to be, I need to be in charge of the radio. And I remember I kept bothering my mom. What I didn't tell you was her brother-in-law, my uncle had just died. Her mom had just died six weeks before. Somebody else had died. And my grandfather's brother had died. He had just come to live with us six weeks before. And, and his brother died, so we were going to another funeral. I'm in the back seat. They're just perplexed. And I remember saying, Mama, Mama. How many of you ever say that? Mama, Mama, Mama. And you just say it all the time. You just wore out. Mama, can I get in the front seat? Hey, Mama, I need to sit between you and Daddy Tom. Hey, I need to sit with y'all. Hey, I, hey, can I just get in the front seat? And my mom said, just stay in the back seat. Just stay in the back seat. You need to stay in the back seat. Okay. Then my grandfather can't wait to be a granddaddy. He leaned over to the seat and he said, Keith, he says, when we get to that town, I will buy you all the barbecue and all the ice cream you can eat. Just lay down, but stay in the back seat. I said, yes, sir. I laid down. I woke up a day and a half later in the hospital. I was the only survivor. Killed my mom and my grandfather that day. That happened in 1968. I'm over here in a prayer room about two months ago. I'm doing a little devotional and we're getting ready to pray. And uh, this thought overwhelmed it came to me. Keith, I've been trying to tell you since 1968, stay in the back seat. And I just began to weep like a little boy. Because it was the last words my mama ever told me. And then my king, Jesus, said, I want you in the back seat. You can operate much better in the back seat. That's where I'll protect you. That's where I'll lead you. That's where I'll guide you. Does that speak to anybody? That's my life. And ever since 1968, I've been trying to get in the front seat. I want to drive. I want to be in charge. Jesus said, get in the back seat. And that day, it came clearer than it ever has, get in the back seat. Well, Jesus, i got a church to lead. You do, boy, and I'm going to work through you. But I want you to stay in the back seat. Now, let me take one of my other jobs. My other jobs is to keep you out of the front seat, too. But Jesus wants to be in the driver's seat. Stay in the back seat. Lord, I want to stay there. I'm driving Jesus, do you need a chauffeur? No, I don't need a chauffeur, Keith. Jesus, do you need a co-pilot? Keith, I don't need a co-pilot. Well, Jesus, could I just come up and sit next to you? No, I want you in the back seat. I'll take you to the destination. But Jesus, I would really like to be in charge, and I'd really like to drive there. No, I'm, I'm going to drive you there. Can anybody identify with any of this today? You want to be in charge. You want to be in control. They call us control freaks. I know. Some people have said it to my face. You're a control freak. Reason you realize that, because you're one too. <laughs> control. Give Jesus control. He's first. You know what it means for Jesus to be in control? Jesus be Lord. Jesus be Lord of my life. We copy his way of life. Fill, fill in that blank. I don't know if I got there. Remember to give him control. Just give Jesus control every day. Every hour. Every moment, but just give him control. I don't think giving Jesus control is a, a prayer. I don't think it's just running down at an altar some Sunday emotional. I think it's a daily yielding, surrendering to the living king and saying, Lord, I give you control. And in giving you control, there's peace. But Jesus, 
I'll give you this and this and this part of my heart and that part of my life, but Jesus, I'm going to hold on to this. No, I want all of you. I want to come and I want to rule in your heart and I want to be Lord. You know, and, and then when you really think about how amazing Jesus is, he, he doesn't fuss at us, he just calls us to himself. But don't we get distracted? Oh, we, we get distracted, we get, we get pulled away, and Jesus keeps saying, hey, I want you to come back. I want you to come back to who I am. So here's kind of one of my premises today right before I hit this verse. Make Jesus the Lord of your life. Look at the passage. I took a long time to get there, but it's all for a reason. Verse 34, chapter 8, verse 34. Listen to God's word. And then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Just stopping there. That's when we're followers of Jesus. We're Christ followers. Jesus says, follow. I said last weekend, he didn't call us to be a fan. He calls us to be a follower. He says, just deny yourself. Circle it. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Circle that. And then do what he commands. Follow me. As I look at that, Jesus doesn't go, hey, I want you to come lay on a couch. I want to give you a cushy life. Jesus says, hey, I've got a cross for you to bear. I want you to take up the cross. I want you to deny your flesh and your desires, and I want you to follow me. That's the way of my Father's kingdom. You know, temptation is that we would like the situation around us. Uh, we'll just, sometimes we just let the temptation around us control us. Unexpected events come in our life, and they hit us, and we let that control our, our, our joy, our attitudes, and that's wrong. Christ wants to control our attitudes. Some of us, we just want to be large and in control. Christ wants to do that. People ask me all the time, why does bad things happen to good people? Because it rains on the just and the unjust. It's just the way of the kingdom. I, I'd write this somewhere in your margin date. Life just happens. Life happens. It happens to you. It happens to me. I, I could go up and down through your stories, and some of you have some amazing stories and testimonies of things that you have been through and things that are good and things that are bad and things that are difficult. It's just the way of God. And he promises to be with us in that. And, and, and he says, hey, but I'll adopt you as my sons and daughters. You know, Don and I have never adopted a kid. We, we haven't done that. Adoption's become so popular in our country in foster care. And God is caring for little ones. And I just think it's a marvelous concept. But the closest that Don and I have ever come to adoption happened three years ago this week. I stood before the altar of Jesus Christ and I performed my daughter's ceremony. And I gave her... From my wife and I, we gave her to Jeremy. And we took him into our family. We grafted Jeremy Van Eggman into our family. He became one of us with all the rights and all the curses and all that comes with it. But he became one of us. And what you don't know is he has a very endearing term that he calls me. He calls me dad. And when he says that, he means it. Like I'm dad. He didn't say, hey, dad, too. His dad. He's got a great dad. He's with him right now. But he, but he calls, calls me dad. And I, I know what it is, man, to, to bring something into your family. And that's what happens with us in grace. God adopts us into his family, and he calls you a son and a daughter. And you ought to put your hands together and clap and praise God right there that he calls us sons and daughters of the Most High God. Isn't that awesome? You're a son, you're a daughter. Oh, I love it, man. My kids, and, and one day I pray Hannah is going to give me another son and he's going to become one of ours. Somebody you're like, i got a couple if you want some. You can have ours. No, 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 no. I'm praying for these. I've been praying for these for a long time. It took me 25 years to pray for a boy and I got one. 
And I'm still praying for another one. I'm going to get another one. I know God is good. He's going to give it to me. Let me get back to the text. <laughs> Take up the cross. Taking up the cross means torture. You got to torture your flesh. You got to die to your flesh. One of my favorite passages, I'm crucified with Christ. It's not I that lives, but it's Christ who lives in me by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. I am crucified. I am dead. This morning, I had a funeral for me before I came. I needed to die. Because my flesh is just grade A flesh and it wants to rise up and show out. I wanted Jesus. I wanted you to have Jesus. Somehow living and reflecting his love through me to touch your heart. I want you to have Jesus, that you reflect Christ to me, and we reflect Christ to one another. That's the body of Christ. And if you don't know Christ today, I pray you're being reflected by others, that Christ in them is pointing you to God. You're going, wow, I don't have that. But man, to be adopted and all the privileges of that, man, I'd like to be that. Dying to yourself. Cross-bearing. I wrote this down. You, this is free if you want it. Cross-bearing is always voluntary. Cross-bearing is always an act of love. Cross-bearing is always hard. But cross-bearing is needed. I don't know about you, but I got to bear a cross, and so do you. Back in this scripture, it's real simple. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. One passage says, daily, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. This morning, Jesus is trying to push you and I to the back seat. He's trying to just get us to run back there and sit back there in the back, and he thinks it'd be a, a great place. Let me give you another passage here. Turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke 9, looking at verse 56. Luke 9, 56. Actually, 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. But Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. That's a tough scripture from Jesus. He says, Keith, if you really want to follow me, he says, friend, if you want to follow me, you put your hand to the plow, you start fixing your eyes on me, follow me, don't look back, look to me. I'm the author and the perfecter of your salvation and your soul, and I will lead you. Renounce your flesh, deny your flesh, disown your flesh, die to your flesh. Daily denial is needed. That's the way of Jesus. Lord, thank you. So this morning, it's real simple. Bear the cross. Follow Christ. It's the way of the master. And then this morning, I was just thinking about, hey, get in the back seat. Because he don't want any front seat help. So I'm hoping today you're saying, I'm, I'm going to get in the back seat with you. You know, I still learn lessons from 1968. Still didn't make a lot of sense. I still don't totally understand why the father took my mom that day, my grandfather. But every once in a while I get a little nugget from heaven and God teaches me a spiritual application. And this morning I just decided to get real personal and to share it with you. Get in the back seat. Let's pray.
Jesus, this message was born out of tears and examination. But Lord, you're calling me, you're calling your church to surrender. I pray this morning, Lord, we would surrender afresh to you. That Jesus, we would call upon you to cleanse us from our sin, to be our Savior, but to be our Lord, to be our CEO, to be in the driver's seat, and for us to get in the back seat and let you lead and we'll follow where you go. Jesus, my big prayer today is that you would make people in this room true, biblical Christ followers. And when people ask, what hope do you have? You go, I follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. Jesus, may you be Lord.